campers, I hope you are having a wonderful winter break. I'd like to take this opportunity to just take off my teacher hat and take off my counselor hat for a moment and just be a person because it's the holidays. And the holidays are a time for, yes, lots of things, coming together, getting things, giving things, warming yourself by the fire, trying to reform dysfunction or codependent toxicity, overcoming differences, and just trying to get along with people and, and, and family. It's, it's all about family, right? Like whether it's your biological family or the family you choose or the family that chose you, there's, there's a lot of things wrapped up in the idea of family. But part of family and part of the holidays, I think the holidays are a time for making amends and reaching deep down inside yourself and reaching out to people that you may have wronged or may have, uh, whether they know it or not, been petty towards and apologizing and, and seeking their forgiveness and and for forgiving people. And in the interest of that, I would like to take this holiday opportunity to reach out to John Monaghan of the Detroit Free Press and apologize. See, because he doesn't know this, uh, but for years... I would go to video stores, remember those? <laughs> remember when those were a thing? And see the Black Christmas, known colloquially in the in fandom often as Black Xmas, the DVD for Black Christmas, the 2006 Glenn Morgan directed remake. I would see the DVD cases in these video stores with John Monaghan's review uh, quote grab at the bottom saying, one of the best horror movies of the year. And I would say something pithy or snarky or, or downright shitty, like, oh, J J John Monaghan didn't get out to the movies much in 2006. Or, you know, something like that. Something mean-spirited, not in the spirit of the holidays. And he didn't deserve that, because you know what? I'm also, at this point, going to apologize to Glenn Morgan, director of the 2006 Black Christmas remake. And I think, honestly, I think it's time that all of us, as a culture, as a people, as a family, reach out to Glenn Morgan and apologize for how we treated him and how we treated his movie. Because here's the thing, gang. Black Christmas 2006 is good. Yes, I know. I know it's hard to hear that, but get over yourselves. It's good. It's a good movie. It's solid. And when you consider all of the things working against it, it's even better. I don't want to try to convince you that Black Christmas is great just because it fought an uphill battle, but it did if you want to learn about the circumstances of the development and production and post-production, especially the post-production of this movie. Here's the thing. You got to understand the production companies involved and the distribution companies involved here are you know, Mark Cuban's 2929 and the Weinstein's Dimension. So there are some evil people, some real Grinches involved in the production and distribution of this film. And some of them fought Glenn Morgan 
pretty much every step of the way. I do recommend seeking out the DVD release. I don't have the unrated, fancy, schmancy, special edition Blu-ray that was put out by a Canadian company uh, years back and has since gone out of print. I wish I did, but I don't. I have, you know, the the, un- the Black Xmas unrated DVD with that Joe John Monaghan quote on the cover. Uh, and here's the thing about John Monaghan's review. It's not even that glowing. If you if you want to look it up and read it, he's mostly just kind of like, yeah, it gets a pass. And here's why. And it's and it's decent and it's solid and it's, and it's serviceable. And it's doing these things. It's doing its job. And it doesn't always work, but it mostly does. And here's the thing. Not a lot of great horror movies came out in 2006. And I, I don't know if I agree with that. There were some really good horror movies in 2006. Uh, some excellent ones. And I, you know what? I made a list. Uh, I did not check it twice, and that's why I don't remember it now because I can't find it. And I'm just kind of uh, Pong Jun host the host, and and I think um, you know Severance and uh, a handful of others, Black Sheep, handful of others that were great. But whatever. Point is, his review wasn't even that glowing. That's the DVD I have, the one with that quote on the cover, the one of the best horror movies of the year quote. And the special features include a. Um, a you know, a couple of making of featurettes, including one that I'm really surprised they included on the DVD because a lot of it is Glenn Morgan just being like, I don't know what people want. After Glenn Morgan's Willard was a box office failure. And that's really a shame because that movie is fantastic. It is moody. It is creepy. It is interesting. It is different. It's novel in a lot of ways for a remake. Uh, and, And if you haven't seen it, you should. But that movie didn't get the the praise that it deserved or the attention it deserved or the money it deserved really that's what it comes down to and Black Christmas was sort of Glenn Morgan's last shot at directing a feature film and he knew that and and in the interviews in the special features in one of these featurettes that is very apparent and that's part of the context of this is that Glenn Morgan was this guy who came from TV had been in the industry for a long time the Final Destination movie uh, broke him out into the world of features and then he did uh, with his producing partner James Wong and this was kind of his last chance and and the, the Weinsteins fought him they they pressured him to make it gorier uh, they pressured him to take certain themes out they went and shot footage without him for the trailer release, in, including footage that they never intended to put in the movie. They cut it all to hell. Just watching the DVD, you can see all the alternate endings that are on there that he was embattled making this movie, and he didn't really know what to do sometimes. And so th- these circumstances, this context, I think, provides... You know, you, you kind of want to take it a little easier on this movie if you know these things. But also, all of that aside, it really is just a solid film. And it's better than most slasher remakes. You know, this is 2006... This This is kind of, it's two years after the Texas Chainsaw remake, but it's really sort of smack dab in the middle, maybe even more on the beginning side of when the slasher remake started to kind of take off. I still feel that Sorority Row from 2009 is the best of the slasher remakes, but this movie is good just on its own merits. Just in the opening scene where, you know, you have this establishment of the house and there are... uh, these shots of these, you know, plastic wise men in the in the manger nativity display, which are, you know, it's very blood and black lace with the mannequins in that film. And it's this movie is very Italian. It, it, more than any other slasher film, or at least slasher remake, certainly, I think, this movie acknowledges its giallo influences, its Italian roots. And I'll get into why later. But just that opening 
sequence with the the croony Christmas music, which pops up a lot in this film. And in fact, if you notice that most of the characters' names, uh, their last names at least, are na- they're named after Christmas crooners. Uh, Kelly Presley, of course, Elvis Presley. You have Claire Crosby, of course, Bing Crosby. There are, there are a lot of these names in there. Anyway, whatever. The music playing, and then you have this uh, underscoring of Shirley Walker's uh, who passed sadly before the film was released. Uh, she was another veteran composer who, if you look her up, you'll be surprised to see her attached to a lot of your favorite things. Her non-diegetic horror movie score going on uh, under that is already creating layers. There's already layers in this film, and there's already there's a bit with a, a pen as a significant object, and it goes missing, and it's visual storytelling. It's, you're, it's setting a scene and giving you a clock, and just already there, there are highly cinematic tools at work here. And you also learn pretty early on that the movie has a sense of humor. And it's not really edgelordy, you know? It's not... The movie is mean. I want to be clear. This is a nasty, mean movie. But I don't want to call it mean-spirited. It's a little vicious. It's a little sick. It's definitely got a dark sense of humor. But I never get the feeling that it is cruel, you know? Wantonly cruel. Maybe that's just me. But there's this bit... Uh, immediately after the title cut, which is brilliant, at the Clark Sanitarium, of course, an homage to Bob Clark, who directed the original, with uh, a, a visiting you know, Santa and an orderly and a security guard kind of forming this sort of Greek chorus to exposit some things, to give us some backstory. And it, it's really effective and it's fun. And, and it's very haunted house. It's very Halloween-y. And there's a lot of that in this film. Also, you'll notice in the very opening sequence, the, 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 the production design and the cinematography are both excellent. This is, this is what's at work here. This is a very layered movie with a lot going on. Okay, this crew, Robert McLaughlin, the cinematographer, Shirley Walker, the composer, Mark Freeborn, the production designer, Mike Rinch, the, the camera operator, uh, to Dean Frist, the focus puller, who also plays Agnes in the film, and we'll, we'll touch on that. But these, these are James Wong and Glenn Morgan's people. Like, everyone on this crew, they're a family, really. They've been working together since the TV show Millennium. They work well together. They, they like working together. They enjoy it. They're having a good time doing this, and it comes through in the film and they're all incredibly professional because what they're doing works and it all works in tandem. McLaughlin's camera is so good. It's so it's so colorful and tonal. The, the framing is always great. When it moves, it's very deliberate. Uh, there's a lot of Dutch angles, you know. There's a, there's a lot of low angles, a lot of high angles, a lot of there's a lot of like playing on the idea of surveillance camera placement in the way this film is shot, but also just the lights and the colors. It's so Italian. It's so rich. It's it's so it's weird because it's warm and cozy, but also like hints at a coldness beyond the frame, just like being in a warm house while it's snowing outside. Like, he captures that remarkably well, and it's in no small part, I think, due to Mark Freeborn's production design, which is also incredible. Uh, Mark Freeborn, who also did the production design for another holiday classic, another contemporary holiday classic, I should say, Trick or Treat, that's him. This guy knows what he's doing. And just the differences, in, in fact, between the flashback house and the, you know, the contemporary, the current sorority, house is so noticeable you know one is just filthy and dank and cold and awful and dysfunctional and very much like a statement about the the nature of this incestuous 
awful, violent, toxic family that lives there. And then this sorority house is so warm and inviting and cozy and comfortable and you just want to stay there and hang out with these girls. And it's it's great. And it, and it really does, you know, while you're watching it, feel like you're, you're witnessing the work of a family that has come together to create this thing. And while we're on the subject, yeah, let's talk about these girls for a minute. Let's talk about the cast. This is a great cast assembled of, of like, name actresses of the time, you know? Yet Michelle Trachtenberg and, and Lacey Chabert and Crystal Lowe and people who have done things in Sure, some of them were in uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, of course, you know? They were in Final Destination 3 and uh, Michelle Trachtenberg, of course, from Buffy and Harriet the Spy and uh, Six Feet Under and Pete and Pete, like veteran actress at this point, you know, even though she started out, she's she started out as a kid. She's very young in this movie, but she's still, she knows what she's doing by this point. Katie Cassidy, like these actors all know what they're doing and they, they form a rapport and a relationship together and it works in the context of the film. Like they fight, they argue, they bicker a little bit. Some of them hold petty grievances against each other, but you always feel like they like each other. And that's a huge thing for me, especially in a slasher movie. If you watch all the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, movies. That's a series that really does get this right. Even when the movies aren't really that great, they do get this core of like, these kids have to like each other. We have to believe that they are friends. And we believe that these sorority sisters look at each other as sisters and they, they have this bond. And sure, they kind of shun the weird one a little bit for the purposes of giving us a red herring, but they don't outright alienate her. Okay, maybe they do a little, but whatever. The point is, you do get the feeling that they all like each other. And it's just also really great to see all these women interacting this way. And also, fucking Andrea Martin, SCTV's Andrea Martin, uh, from the original 1974 Black Christmas, is here playing the house mother, Miss Mac. And she's terrific. She's just terrific. Like, all of the performances are great. Even when some of the dialogue might get a little self-aware Kevin Williamson-y, it, it's not obnoxious about it. And the delivery works. They all get these really great character moments and there's attention paid to their relationships and the, and the conflicts and the drama at work between all of them. And there's just, there's, there's all of these things at work and they all kind of get this stuff to play with and it, and it makes it feel like an ensemble. You know, it, it is, it's one of those films where you have a hard time pinning down exactly who the final girl is. I mean, obviously it's Katie Cassidy, but as you're watching it, you're like, wow, it, really any one of these women probably could be our, our survivor, our final girl. Uh, they, they all could be, you know, if we, I mean, until they die, obviously. But that's the important thing is there isn't one like virginal, uh, you know, wallflower who's come into her own. It's like they're all well-rounded characters. They all feel like people. None of them are, are, are stereotypes. None of them are even really archetypes. Like, sure, they all have, you know, uh, kind of defining character traits, but they aren't only serving those traits on screen. And you and you like all of them. Uh, at least I do. I, uh, maybe you don't, but I, I watch this movie and I root for literally all of these girls. I think they're all great. I don't want any of them to get their eyes gouged out. Let's talk about that for a second, by the way. Speaking of Italian, this movie, more like I said, more than any, uh, it, it wears its Italian roots on its sleeves. It, it, it revels in them, celebrates them, because it's as cynical and sleazy and misogynist or even outright misanthropic as a lot of like first wave early slasher movies uh, were reputed to be or even, you know, were, obviously. Very few of them were as openly gruesome and perverse as their reputation would suggest. Uh, no, that that 
distinction belongs to the Italian movies that were made around that time, and 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 in some cases even later, the the Joe D'Amato films, the Bruno Mattei films, Sergio Martino. This movie has more in common with Sergio Martino than it does with John Carpenter or Bob Clark in a lot of ways. It's it's even it's obviously I, I said Blood and Black Lace already. There's a lot of bava in this film, but just also in just the themes. You know, this the sex isn't just straight couples fucking in violation of some you know puritanical reagan era values about teen chastity or something no this is the sex is weird even the straight couple that do have sex like you don't see it when it happens you see video evidence that it happened it's there's a voyeuristic element to it the theme of voyeurism is is prevalent throughout this film in many ways but also like the only sex scene that we do see in the movie that's happening in real time and even that not so much because it's a flashback but i digress it's between a mother and her son it's incest and it's abuse it's assault it's not like oh don't go off to fuck somewhere alone it's holy shit this is traumatic this is an evil thing that that i'm witnessing this film is is it's very italian in that way in that there's a twist on all the sex it's not regular and the violence is just operatic it is it's so gruesome like glenn morgan is reputedly not a fan of gore. He wanted to make, you know, psychological horror movies rich in implication, and that's not clear in this film. It, it is very clear that he was being kind of forced to add some things he didn't want to add by the powers that be. You know, he he didn't want to do all this violence, but I, look, I... I love the violence. I love it. I think it's great. I think it's 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 gross. <laughs> and it's and it's and it's like as much as I don't want to watch these girls die, the 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 gags that are on screen are pretty impressive. And again, not all of them actually are that gory. There's a couple that are pretty tame, you know, just through foley work and and editing, they seem, you know, a lot harsher than they are, of course. That's that's a horror movie tradition. But eight instances of ocular trauma. That's the thing, the eyes. Whoa, buddy. Uh, lots of eye damage in this. Lots of gouging, lots of cutting, lots of poking. Including, for my money, the best reveal of a prosthetic eye in movie history. Eyes are not safe in this film, ever. Because they're used to peep and to watch people that don't want to be watched. So uh, they're getting poked out. Oh, man, really quick. Speaking of Foley work and sound, this this movie has is so rich. I haven't had a cigarette in a long time, but... This movie, it has that 90s, uh, early 2000s sizzling cigarette foley work. Ah, it's so, it's so much texture to it. You know, this film has a lot of texture in it. Just layers in general, just lots of layers, lots of things going on. It's like I said earlier with the music, every time one of these crooner Christmas songs comes up underneath it, you get the non de and they always come up diegetically. They're always playing in the house or someone turns on a car and it's playing on the radio in the car or what have you. But, but there, almost every time there's always like a underneath it there's Shirley Walker's like brooding like up oh, something's wrong here score uh, there's just so much going on it's and it's overstuffed yes like a good Christmas meal you're it's full and it's overstuffed but somehow you're you don't feel it doesn't feel bloated it doesn't feel like it's ever too much it's still handling it all kind of it's juggling a lot of things man to juggle is these flashbacks that also I, the flashbacks are a little weird because they were initially supposed to be like a, a prologue to the film I guess but then he had to cut them into the the film and so the, the flashbacks just kind of like intrude into the narrative they just kind of force themselves in at certain points and they they're 
they're they're long. Um, there's a lot going on in them, but they're also very rich. Morgan based this backstory, which the back the flashbacks are all it's Billy. You know, it's Billy's backstory. It's Billy and Agnes, the characters from the phone calls in the 1974 original. It's Glenn Morgan filling in his blanks. Uh, Bob Clark was an executive producer on this film, and the movie did have his blessing, and he was kind of there every step of the way, encouraging Glenn Morgan and, and James Wong and everybody. But he wasn't uh, he wasn't an overseer, and he didn't as far as I know, provide Glenn Morgan with any of the information for his mythology for Billy and Agnes. But this is Glenn Morgan filling in the blanks himself, and he chose to to draw from the story of serial killer Ed Kemper to create this uh, this lore. The cannibalism thing, by the way, it does, you're right, the cannibalism thing feels like it's too much. That is definitely the Weinsteins. That was not Morgan. Morgan didn't want to do that. The Weinsteins made him do it. But it's it's juggling a lot. It's juggling these flashbacks. It's juggling the killings. It's juggling the the phone calls, the interpersonal conflicts and relationship drama, the the escape and break in stuff, the coming winter storm that is going to come and and fuck things up for them. And it, and it does all of this without dropping any of it. It's a lot of stuff. Kind of like you know a mom on Christmas morning. <laughs> like there's all of these presents with names attached. Like this, ooh, what's in this box? Oh, it's the winter storm. You know, oh, what's in this box? Oh, that's Agnes's backstory. You know, like it, 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 it's all in its place and it's all under the tree and it's all going to go exactly where it needs to go. And it works. Once Lee shows up, once you have uh, Glenn Morgan's wife, Kristen Cloak, as as Claire Crosby's sister, Lee, coming in as yet another red herring with his little soap opera bit, it hits a little bit of a snag, but it's still interesting to watch. And once the mayhem starts up again, it really starts up. The set pieces in this are so there's there's such small world set pieces but when you're in them they feel so big they feel so immediate and they it's just so well done it's just it's always a treat to me to watch filmmakers who really know what they're doing with a crew that really knows what they're doing like pull off these gags it all it all works for me and it might not work for you but it works for me i think it would work for a lot more people than we're willing to give it a chance in 2006 because that's the thing it is the movie is a mess but it's a tight mess and it's a mess that mostly works and honestly when you consider the circumstances of it it should be way messier it shouldn't work as well as it does but it really does and yeah is, is it as good as Bob Clark's 1974 original? Absolutely not. It does. It doesn't hold a Santa's cookies scented Yankee candle to the original. Nothing could. That movie is one of the leanest, meanest, tightest, most expressionistic movies. Just movies, thrillers, horror, or other in existence ever. It's a classic for a reason. And though this movie isn't that, but it is interesting and it is fun. And for me, it's a holiday staple. And I enjoy watching it every year. Do you remember how a couple years ago we all revisited Jennifer's body and decided, wait, we were wrong. This is great. And deservedly so, because Jennifer's body is excellent. And I don't know if I'm saying that this is as good as Jennifer's body, but I do think it deserves the same reconsideration or revisitation at this point. I do think it's time that everyone come back to it. Everyone come home for Christmas and say, hey, Glenn Morgan, hey, John Monaghan, hey, Black Xmas 2006. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Because you were wrong. I was wrong. We all were wrong. It's a nasty, moody, rich, sneering, kind of messy tryhard, and I love it. And it, in a lot of ways, this is very clearly not entirely the movie that Glenn Morgan wanted to make. And that may be at the root of its problems in finding acceptance or an audience. You know, even that, this 
right? Kind of like a, a person without a family on Christmas, just searching for someone to love it. And I want to point out one last thing. Dean Friss, focus puller, first AC, who plays Agnes. This is interesting to me because outside of a reference in the script, and if you if you don't know this, then it wouldn't read this way, but a reference to unnerving androgyny in the script, outside of that, there is no comment on the fact that this is a male actor playing a female character. It's never used as a cudgel. It's never used as a joke. It's not like, I mean, you could, we could have differing uh, subjective takes on the performance maybe, but it is never, it's not explicitly a trans character. There is no gender comment one way or the other in the fact that Dean Friss is playing this character, at least narratively, explicitly. It's not there. It is just Dean Friss, a man playing a female character who is the product of incest. So yes, there could be fair. But as to me, as far as the horror genre goes, this is a pretty like innocuous, harmless, like as far as where it could have gone. You know what I mean? Like there's no reveal in it. It's not saying the things that Sleepaway Camp or Psycho or whatever are saying one way or the other. It's just an interesting choice by the director to have this non-actor, by the way, who was originally supposed to play Billy, play Agnes, who is the real antagonist of the film. Spoilers. Billy doesn't really even do that much. That's kind of one of the things I like about it, is that Billy is sort of this... Billy himself is almost a red herring. His escape from the Clark Sanitarium and subsequent break-in in the house, it's just kind of like a side story that culminates in that really great line that Agnes has that is, ah, oh, I love it so much when Katie Cassidy's character is like, well, there's no... I'm not your family and they're not your family and your brother's not here. And <laughs> Dean Frisch just goes, no, my daddy's here. And it's, oh, I love it. I fucking love it. I love it. I love Andrea Martin. I love Karen Conival. I, I can't even believe I haven't talked about her yet. She gives this remarkable exploitation performance as Billy and Agnes's mother. And it is, it's one for the books. I mean, it's like, it's blood rage level. I love how nasty this movie is. I've said this. I've said all this. I don't need to keep going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Glenn Morgan. I'm sorry, James Wong. I'm sorry, Robert McLaughlin. I'm sorry, Shirley Walker. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry to the Weinsteins or Mark Cuban. Fuck you guys for real forever. I'm sorry to the editor who I didn't look up. I made a list, didn't check it twice. I'm sorry. Lots of Christmas metaphors going on here. I'm sorry to you I for that. Look, revisit 2006's Black Christmas. It, hey, if you still hate it, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, campers, that's it for me. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. Enjoy your winter break. Happy Hanukkah. Joyous Kwanzaa. Merry Christmas. Fucking whatever, I don't know, powerful solstice, conjunction, whatever. You know, fuck 2020. It's over. 2021, maybe. I got nothing else right now. I've been Counselor Andy. Have a happy new year. Thank you to yet, Robin, Shane, Keith. Hope you all have a good time the rest of your winter break. We'll see you next year where hopefully things suck a little bit less. Bunk 237, a horror movie podcast, stars Yet Wen and Robin Zlotnick as the final girls of Bunk 237, and Chris Charpentier as camp director Chris. The show is produced by me, Shane Segrin. Our theme song is written and performed by Dan Zlotnick, and our outro music is written and performed by Tamein Khalid. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and it may be featured on an upcoming episode. Have a suggestion for a movie? Then follow us on Instagram at bunk237pod and Twitter at bunk237. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are downloaded.